So I farm so hard, the employees wanna find me And then wanna hire me What's 100k to a guy like me? Could you please remind me? Farm so hard, this ain't easy Working late nights, you best believe me My grades can only go ace Never wanna see another B unless I'm Jay-Z Farm so hard, let's get paid Woo! Welcome again <laughs> to Farm So Hard. I'm your host, Dr. Oscar Santalo, and I'm here with one of my super turns. How are you guys? This is Olga Ivanova. I'm one of the interns in the hospital. Yeah. Opioid Stewardship Part 2. Now we're going to talk about what pharmacy can do for you. I didn't make that rhyme. It just happened. Just so smooth <laughs> over here. So again, I'm going to ask uh, Olga to lead us off with some background info. Yes. So in the previous episode, we spoke about opioid crisis and the need for opioid and pain stewardship program. It's currently widely recognized by a number of professional and federal organizations, but there is limited evidence on what the structure of those opioid and pain stewardship programs should be. There's really not a lot out there in the literature. However, there is some level of recommendation that currently exists from the professional and the accrediting organizations, and there are even some success stories of implementing of those pain and stewardship committees and programs that are led by the pharmacist, and makes me think that it's all doable. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Well said. So when you hear the word stewardship, I have a feeling people are thinking, Antimicrobial stewardship, right? Are they different as opioid and antimicrobial stewardship? Are they that different? Well, let's think about it. When when we think antimicrobial or antibiotic stewardship, what do we think about first, right? The bugs, resistance. We're thinking about the goal of the stewardship is to really educate and really persuade the prescribers to think through and to really follow the evidence-based prescribing when um, considering during the uh, antibiotics. We really want to avoid the antibiotic overuse and decrease or potentially eliminate the antimicrobial resistance. And when we think about opioid stewardship, the goals are really the same. That would be to standardize and to pick really the best option for pain management for the patients while limiting the supply and the use of the opioids, right? Yeah. So different drug classes, but very similar methods. All right. So so we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We could just take what we do for antimicrobial stewardship and just kind of flip the switch on the drugs, right? I agree. Uh, yeah, very similar. Overall, with the two definitions, and that's what Olga did, she kind of like read the definitions of antimicrobial and opioid stewardship, and the key themes there are evidence-based prescribing and prevent overuse. Again, like, what is the importance and relevance of this topic in terms of, like, pharmacy, opioid, and pain stewardship programs? Uh, I'm going to kick it over to Olga again because she's just on fire with the nuggets today. (laughs) Well, we remember from the first episode on the opioid stewardship is that what CDC um, particularly does, it, it promotes the integrated collaborative pain management and really the practice models that include the pharmacists. Yay! The NQP Opioid Stewardship Action Team has pharmacy involved as well. 
and the ASHP advocates for the role of the pharmacist in the opioid crisis. But pharmacists really are in the position, the healthcare professionals who have the unique knowledge, who have the skills, the understanding, and the responsibilities to really influence this substance abuse prevention, educate patients, assist the prescribers, including the pharmacists in the hospital settings, and to overall reduce negative effects of substance abuse and... Yeah, well said, <laughs> period. Nice. Other key thing, like Sinatra's article in pain management, it did note that intense acute pain afflicts millions of patients each year, despite the recently increased focus on pain control, this author still believes that management of Q-Pain has still remained suboptimal. So this is definitely an area of opportunity for pharmacy. How is this applicable to our institutions as pharmacists? Again, there's limited evidence on the structure on opioid stewardship programs. So what I mean by that statement is that when you think of an ideal opioid stewardship program, like what should it look like, right? There's nothing really that's evidence-based saying like this way works the best, this way doesn't work the best, right? So there are a couple things you know happen to stumble upon. In Intermountain Healthcare, they don't they didn't really have like much of a program, but they did have an approach that I did appreciate. Um, they had a stop, caution, go approach. So you know stop, which meant avoid prescribing long-acting opioids for acute conditions and doses of more than 50 milligrams of morphine equivalents per day. Uh, to caution patients at risk for opioid overdose, uh, and then to go. What that meant was like to prescribe the lowest effective dose, integrate multimodal therapies, and patient education. You want to remind the fans examples of multimodal therapy? <laughs> of course, that's going to be things that, like acetaminophen, like Lyrica, gabapentin, um, non-opioids. You brand there. All right, nice. <laughs> nice, well said. APHA um, did have a website article on um, about a hospital that actually did have a pharmacy-led program, 581-bed hospital out there in California. Um, they had a pharmacy-led program. This pharmacy received pain management consults, and they also ran daily reports. From 2013 to 2015, the pharmacists have made over 2,000 interventions, which, which estimated an indirect cost avoidance of $2.7 million. Those are good numbers. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> Initially executing 16 cons consults per month, now they have 45 consults per month. They also noted a 59% reduction in opioid-associated rapid response calls and code blues, and the overall reduction in the use of high-risk medications on patients. So this is, these are examples of how these kind of programs can be successful. So let's say that you are an overeager pharmacist or pharmacy intern, you want to implement some kind of program at your hospital. Like, what is the route you should kind of take? Can you at least like list out the strategies, like what they should be doing, Olga? Sure. Well, it, some of the strategies to implement a successful opioid stewardship program would be to find a physician champion mm -hmm. who would make it a collaborative and inclusive experience for everybody. Mm -hmm. Things like engage the CSU to establish um, an opioid and pain stewardship committee and also um, a pharmacy-led program. Yeah, and it kind of like feeds up on the committee. For the physician champion... Olga hit around the head, it off the bat initiates collaboration. Think about all the initiatives that pharmacy departments try to start and it kind of just dies because we didn't think of asking nursing or providers again, like in the way practices now, it has to be interdisciplinary or multidisciplinary. Uh, physician champions serve as the bridge to executives and other providers for the program. So 
keyword providers. Therefore, you get provider buy-in. Make sure they engage a C-suite so you have organizational support. You want to make sure that when you're making this pitch with that physician champion you have, that you make sure that the initiative aligns itself with the mission of the hospital. And then also you need to match the valuable and scarce resources. In other words, what that means is that you want to make sure that you're not asking for five pain specialists, two PGY2 trained pharmacists. Like, no, you want to make sure like, hey, this is how we can do it within our own budget. And it's essentially like free, right? Next thing, establishing a committee, like she discussed, it's got to be interdisciplinary. They got to create policies and procedures, standardized dosing, order sets, and also provide metrics and risk mitigation strategies because the C-suite may want to see some numbers on this program we had in place. And my other statement is that does the committee, like, does it have to be just opioids, right? We can monitor expiral use, IV skinaminophen. Like, what do we do if a patient arrives with marijuana, right? And that whole gray, that's the kind of role that this committee would kind of encompass and monitor and kind of make recommendations for the hospital. Then also the pharmacy-led program, you know, kind of we discussed, they would just play a role in compliance, making interventions, rounding on um, teams, uh, educating patients, and then also they could receive pain manager consoles or also reporting tools. And we'll kind of highlight what we're talking about in reporting tools. So the reason why reporting tools are clutch because like you may not have the FTEs nor the organizational support. So like if it's just my pharmacy department working in a silo, which is unfortunate for some health systems, what can you do? You can kind of run these reports. Um, one of the reports is that I really like is patients receiving more than four doses within a 24-hour period. That's the, also the one that Olga liked. <laughs> Why'd you like that report? Like, what, what what are we expecting from that report? Well, that's a lot of opioid use in, in one day. So we really have to analyze and warrant this use. We need to make sure that this patient is not at risk for overdose, monitor. Um, or if they're even adequately treated, right? Because exactly. we want to make sure, like, like are we giving this patient something? Can we give them, like, a lidocaine patch or something else to kind of help them out? Absolutely. Uh, some other things, other reports we can run, patients receiving opioids and benzodiazepines, again, like we discussed in the previous episode, 2CNS depressants, increasing the risk of adverse effects, high-dose opioids in patients without cancer, so obviously the more opioids you give them, the higher risk they are of getting addicted. Home opioid use from multiple providers, like we discussed in the other previous episode, do we all have the same level of access to see the patient's medication history or who are they all getting opioids from? Elderly patients and those at risk for opioid-induced respiratory distress, essentially just monitoring high-risk patients. Um, we could have like a nice list of who the high-risk mm-hmm. patients are. be interesting. Pain score monitoring, again, not to look at it solely, but hey, maybe it's something that we're seeing. It also does require nursing documentation, so it is a limitation for that report. Patients receiving methadone, opioid infusions, and PCAs, those are patients receiving high-risk opioids, so those are patients that we also want to monitor. And then opioid-naive patients receiving long-acting or extended-release opioids, which Olga was just absolutely talking about the entire previous episode. So you guys have that there. Endpoints for you trying to implement your opioid stewardship program or you're having pharmacy involvement. Some unattended consequences. Uh, What are some unattended consequences we can see here, Olga? 
Well, we can never um, predict things like drug shortages. If we run out of something, we have to go with something else. Or things like lack of community infrastructure, even lack of support within the organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are some, those can be some things that we'll have to worry about as a program is being implemented. Some other institutional challenges, just overall knowledge about pain management. Did you guys know that for every 1 in 28,000 patients with chronic pain, there's only one pain specialist for them? So there's also an absence of pain management experts, uh, limited funding and resources. So when you make this pitch to the executive team and they say no, that could be uh, for sure a limitation. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, Thanks for joining us on this opioid silvership topic. And again, my name is Dr. Oscar Santalo. And I'm here with... Um, and this is Olga. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no problem. All right. And you can follow, us, follow me on Twitter at, at farmsohard underscore OS and also on LinkedIn. All right. You guys have a great day. See ya. See ya.